Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we just welcome everybody? Just clap your hands. We're going to try this again, okay? Because everybody's kind of sleepy this morning. So I'm going to wish one more time. I know you lost an hour of sleep, but it's going to be 62. So, right, we can be excited. <laughs> That's what we should have led with. So we're going to welcome everybody on the count of three. One, two, three. Woo, all right, yeah, glad you're here. <laughs> it is great to see you. I hope you had a great week. I think this week's going to be awesome. We're starting a brand new series today uh, called So Help Me God. And it's, uh, it's, it's from the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn me to Romans chapter 1, uh, we're going we're gonna to begin to kind of get in this today and get into this series. And I hope you'll be back next week, next several weeks as we kind of walk this out and up until Palm Sunday. And then we'll have a, and then, and then we're going to go, but we're going to be hitting the book of Romans throughout the course of this year. So this has been something that's been on my heart for a while. So we're breaking it into multiple series, but we'll be covering uh, that. And so as you get into reading this, it's very interesting to me in the day and age in which we live in and everything that's going on, uh, how applicable this is. This book, this writing, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome. And, uh, and, and because, again, I was traveling this week, and it's very interesting to be in airports right now because it, you don't see a lot of masks, you don't see a lot of that, but you do see some of it. And it was funny, Tammy and I were, we had a three hour layover in Atlanta, and so we, were, we were, went to this restaurant. And, uh, and these, this couple comes in, this young couple, and they've got masks on, they've got gloves on. But as soon as they sit down, they take their masks off, they take their gloves off, and they're on their phone. And it's like, it's not how it works, folks. I mean, you know, it's that kind of a deal. Um, it's just, and there is this, this fear in the world in which we live in. Uh, there is this unsettledness on the political scheme of everything right now. Um, just, it, and it doesn't matter what side or what ticket or what party that you're for, there is this tension that's out there. Uh, there's this tension uh, that, that's, even in our world economically, I mean, it, it, we no longer, you know, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and so we no longer live in a world where, quite frankly, there's a big middle class. Middle-class America has, has quickly evaporated and is evaporating. And so it's more of a haves and have-nots. It's more of a, you know, it's, 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 it's less of a bell curve where most people are in the middle and more of a well curve where, where most of the people are either have-nots or they're haves. And if you're haves in this society right now, uh, you're, you're doing really, 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 really well. I mean, life is really well. Even with this downturn in the stock market, this is a great time to buy because, again, you're not driven by fear and, and, you, and you buy because it's going to go back up. It's the way everything runs in cycles. But if you don't have, you are struggling uh, under a mountain of debt. You are struggling because your kids don't understand the world in which you live in and what's going on and how are we going to navigate this and how are we going to pay for this and how are we going to pay for, for college and education that just seems to keep creeping up, 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 up. And, 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 and what are we going to do? And I, there's just, there is this economic uncertainty and, and our world is so connected now that we can't disconnect in such a way. And, 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 the, and the pace of information, the, it's just, it just keeps snowballing in this tension. And if you're a Christian in America today, it's a very awkward place to be. 
because it's, there is such an erosion of, of values uh, in the world in which we live in. And, 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 and it's, it's what's, what's bizarre to me is that there are people that would chip away at, at Scripture and at the Bible and, and, and just in such ways, it's just, and then our kids in the world, it's just, it's just a crazy world. And you may go, great, you're not really helping me at all, at, at all about this. Well, here's the good news. This letter called Romans that we're going to begin to unpack today was written in 57 uh, AD uh, and uh, by Paul, the apostle, probably in Corinth, which would have been a, a pretty metropolitan city of its own, uh, on his third missionary journey. Rome at this point in time is a major metropolitan center of most of the known world at that point in time. There would have been about a million inhabitants in Rome proper, but, but it, was, it was a city that was plagued by much of the same issues that you and I deal with in the world in which we live in. It would be a city much like the island of Manhattan in New York, where if you have money, uh, life is great. You have everything at your fingertips. You, you have the best restaurants. You, you have the best shopping. You, 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 you have the best of, of, of every luxurious thing you can imagine. But if you don't, and you're literally having to scrape to get by and it becomes incredibly difficult to live. That's where Rome was. About half of its inhabitants at this point in time were doing very, very well. About another half of them were doing not, not very well at all. Matter of fact, we, we know that probably about half of the inhabitants would have been bond servants, which would have meant they, they were newly freed, newly emancipated work slaves. And so they were, they were free to go do what they wanted to do, but they had nothing. And so the slums at this point in time would have been around four to six-story buildings where there was no there was no indoor plumbing beyond the first floor. Now, if you had money, that was not a problem. You had indoor plumbing. You you had indoor facilities. You you had all of this. Again, it, 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 you you had everything at your disposal. But if you didn't have, you you were living in squalor. And 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 so the problems that come along with that, people are people. And so the crime and all this that's happening. Everything is building and Christianity is growing, but it's, it's growing in such a way that, that Rome, again, doesn't want any other God other than Caesar. And so there are these tyrannical type of, 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 of uh, displays that the government would do from time to time to suppress any type of group. And so as Christianity begins to rise and it begins to grow and, and it's not slowing down. Remember, Jesus left and there's 120 in the upper room. And, and then 3,000 people in Jerusalem come to faith in Christ just that day. And, and they were being added daily. And then it left because the persecution in Jerusalem begins to rise. They, they go to all the known world. This begins to happen. And so the gospel is going literally into all the known world. And so this is about seven years before Nero, after the burning of Rome that we know historically, Nero will go mad and literally began to round up Christians and make sport of them and put them in the Colosseum, which is still in existence today, will put them in the Colosseum and will make sport of them, like, like, like the Gladiator movie. It, that, that was, and would literally see them eaten alive and destroyed. And, and at one point in about 64, 63, 65 AD, Nero will literally take
take Christians and round them up and, and impale them on, on spears and stakes and, and wrap them in, in, in kerosene and, and, and soak them so that they're completely drenched and light them on fire in order to illuminate his outdoor night parties and, and orgies and all the galas that he would do. This is, this, everything is leading up to that. Everything is leading up to that level of tension. So political tension, and there is, there's economic tension. There is, there are all the pains of a world and a society trying to keep up. Uh, and, and there's religious tensions. This is all happening about the time that Paul's writing this letter. And what's interesting about that is that's the world in which you and I live in. Because as I'm walking through the airport, people are fearful. And the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. Now, not stupid. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not boarding a plane right now to, to China. You, you, you get what I'm talking about, right? But, 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 but at the same time, no? Are, you, are we on the same place? Like the, right, the virus, right? We're not talking about the beer. We're talking about the virus, right? Coronavirus. And so the deal is, in all of that, God's not given us that spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. And so we should not worry we should be vigilant. We should be sober-minded, the Bible says. We should be smart. But at the same time, our lives are not our own. We gave up our rights a long time ago and we surrender that to the Lord and we just go do what he asked us to do and we carry on about our business until he comes. And so the world in which we live in is so plagued by fear. Fear that the economy is gonna collapse. Fear that there's gonna be some virus that's gonna wipe us out. Fear that we're not gonna have enough. Fear that we're gonna be behind. Fear that we're gonna be this. Fear that we're wrong. Fear, all, it, fear, 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 fear. And everything feels like it's predicated upon that. And it begins to heighten everything, much like what was happening in the first century when this letter is being written. This is Paul's magnum opus. This is like the first systematic theology of the Christian faith that's being written. This is uh, a believer's constitution. It, it's like the Magna Carta of Christianity. It, it not only declares, the book of Romans declares the essential beliefs that you and I have, but it establishes our agenda as Christ followers and it shows the plan of salvation. And today I just wanna hit chapter one and I wanna hit two verses, which basically are the entire kind of foundation, crux, essence of what this entire book of Romans is all about. And it's the message today that I wanna kind of unpack for you today. Romans chapter one, verse 16 and 17, Paul says this, for I am not ashamed of the good news or the gospel about Christ. For it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Again, in the church in Rome, majority of those Christ followers there were Gentile believers. That was Paul's calling was to the, reach the Gentile because the Jews were being reached by Peter and other ones of the disciples. Verse 17, the good news, the gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So I wanna establish this word gospel in the original Greek means good news. And so verse one, again, I, I could spend an entire hour on a lectureship just on Romans 1.1, when Paul says, I'm an apostle to define what that means and what, what, what that's all about of the fivefold ministry gifts. But I am a bond servant unto 
Jesus Christ. And so remember, who is he talking to? He's talking to a majority of these people are bond servants. They're newly freed, newly emancipated slaves. They have their freedom, but they're in this new, very scary world. And the entire book of Romans, he will come back to that theme over and over and over and over. And he identifies with the audience by saying, I am like you because I was once dead in my sins. I was once trapped in my sins. I was once bound by my sins, but now I have been set free, not by myself, but by faith, been made righteous, not by my actions, but by faith. It will be this book that will so rattle Martin Luther in the mid centuries that he will write the thesis and, and, and put it and nail it onto the, to the door of the Catholic church and the Protestant church will emerge because he couldn't read those words and go, that's not me, that's who I am, that's who we are. And that's just verse one. <laughs> right? So I'm not going to do that. But, 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 but verse 1, 2, and 3 kind of tells us what the gospel is. The gospel is a good news, but we see in verse 2 that the originator is God. God is the originator of this gospel. This is not something that God just came up with on a whim. It's not something he just thought of. The Bible says in the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament that Jesus was slain from the very foundations of the world, which means God preordained, God knew. God's not spontaneous. Your response and my response to him may be spontaneous, but God is never spontaneous. God always plans and he executes with precision on that plan. That's how it works. Read it in scripture. You may be spontaneous, but God, he's got it all under control and he knows. That's what omniscient means, all knowing. He knows beginning to the end. That's the reason why the angels in the book of Revelation cry out, he is alpha and omega, beginning and the end, that which was and is to come and forevermore shall be. There is none like him. He has no beginning, he has no ending. So he is the creator of the good news. And the object of the good news, the focus of the good news, verse three tells us it's Jesus. Jesus is the essence of this. It's through Jesus Christ, not through you, not through me, not through the church, not through a program, but through Jesus Christ that we have salvation. It's through Jesus Christ that the good news is sent. Again, the first messianic prophecy of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter three, verse 15, he, the serpent, well, the serpent will strike his heel, but he, Jesus, will, will crush the serpent's head. Uh, it, it, it's the first time where we see that God had a plan for sin. God knew that sin was going to enter the world, and with that, he had a plan. And, and, and so the, the whole kind of, if you want to kind of encapsulate one verse, and this is a verse I think everybody should memorize. We should teach our kids. If there's one verse you should know in the Bible, it's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him, that's Jesus, would have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That God's not some cosmic killjoy, that God's not mad at you, that God's not upset with you, that God's not sending you to hell. No, it's your sin that condemns you. It's your sin that sends you to hell, but that God loves you enough that he gave his one and his only son. There's not multiple ways to get to God. There's one, only, exclusive. You know, that's very narrow-minded. I didn't write the book. I didn't come up with the plan, sorry. And again, this is not spontaneous. It's not something God just kind of came up with. This is how God works. This is how God moves. This is how God operates. And so he set this. And so in this passage of scripture, Paul's gonna define, describe, and begin to defend the gospel in Romans. So the first thing we see is that the gospel is good news. Now, I've been talking about that, but if you're taking notes, you wanna write that down. The gospel is good news. 
Verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. I am not ashamed of the good news or the gospel about Christ. Real simple question to ask yourself is, are you ashamed of the gospel? And people go, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, when was the last time that you told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time that you went out of your way to be able to share, hey, uh, God loves you and he's not mad at you. This isn't like pop psychology. This isn't like positive Christianity. This is called the Bible. Again, I didn't write it. John 3, 16, for God loved you and I so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. Well, when was the last time that you shared that message, that you shared that? When, when, when was the last time that, that, you, that, that you, you were the one that led someone to faith in Christ? You, you connected someone with faith in Christ. When was the last time that you, you spoke up in your class, that you spoke up at school, that you cleared your throat in a meeting, that, 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 that you kind of said, I, I'm sorry, but, but you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, God's name, last name isn't, and, and, and Jesus doesn't have a, a middle name like that. And, and when, when was the last time that you just said, hey, 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 I, I'm sorry, this may marginalize me, this, th- th- this may make me look small, this may make me make you think that I have a crutch in life called Christianity, but, but, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. When was the last time that you kind of spoke up and just said, hey, 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 I, I, I'm one of those. Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm a disciple. I don't just go to church on Christmas and Easter. I, I, I don't just, my family doesn't just kind of uh, kind of be connected. I'm an active follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm completely sold out. And if that marginalizes me, if, that, if, if I lose business over that, if I do whatever, I, I'm sorry, that's who I am. See, because you go, well, Aaron, you just don't understand how the world works. Let's rewind the tape. First century, Rome, seven years later, after Paul will write these words, these people will be impaled and be lit on fire because they were Christians as a mockery of the faith of Jesus Christ. You think you got it bad? We've not, we've not even yet become prosecuted for our faith. That's what's coming next. This is what's happening in the church in America and we don't wanna talk about it because, well, we just don't want to. But the church in America overall is shrinking because we have this ideology, it's always gonna be this way, it's always gonna be there and it's always gonna, this is what it's always gonna be. And what I truly believe in my lifetime that we will see a prosecution of our faith like we've never seen. We may not see persecution in my lifetime should the Lord tear his coming, it will come after, but we are in a post-Christian era where to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not a religious person, not a spiritually enlightened person, but someone who utters the name of Jesus, someone who's surrenders to the name of Jesus, someone who clings to the gospel of Jesus Christ is marginalized, is put aside, is just told to be quiet. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the key to all of this is the question is, am I ashamed of the gospel? And the best way to know that is not my answer on Sunday morning. The best way to know that is how do I act on Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday morning in a board meeting or Thursday afternoon when I'm going to the union meeting after the plant, after I'm done with my shift at the plant or before my, my shift starts. It, the, 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 the best time to know that is when I'm in, with, in my neighborhood or I'm traveling or I'm going here or there and how I respond to the people that are around me. That's the best indicator and litmus test of am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Paul says it all starts there. Secondly, the gospel is God's power. The gospel is God's power. Look at verse 16. For it is the power of God at work. The power of God at work. The power of God at work is not a preacher. The power of God at work is not a church service. The power of God at work is not a worship service. The power of God at work is not a Bible study. The power of God at work is not a holy huddle with a bunch of Christians. The power of God at work is when someone who is lost and dead in their sins and their transgressions and they have no hope, they encounter a God who loves them and cares for them and through faith takes their sins and casts as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. And in that moment, they are made right with themselves and with each other and they are made right in the sight of a holy God. That's the power of God. The power of God. Sometimes we think, well, if I get together and then we have this worship time and it's going to be great. It's great. And we like it and they sing the songs we like and that's awesome. But that's not really where the power is demonstrated. Not according to scripture. Power of God. Oh, I love to hear so-and-so preach. I love it, Pastor, when you kind of get all, you know, upset and, and you're preaching and you're going and you're going to sweat through a shirt or two. And it's just going, that's not the power of God. The, the, the power of how oh, I love when we get in these Bible studies and it really gets deep and it gets, no, 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 no. That's not the power of God. The enemy of your soul and my soul would love for you and I to just kind of uh, conclave ourselves away. And so we have our little holy huddles and we have our Bible studies and we, and, and I'm not against any of this. And we have our church services on the weekend and we have our worship gatherings and we have our preaching and we have our favorite preachers and, and podcasts and, 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 and messages and all and sermons and all of this and that and blah, 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 blah. He would love for us just to fill our lives with that. Why? Because then the gospel becomes innocuous because then there there is no one outside who hears the gospel, who is changed by the gospel. There is no flow in you and I. We become a reservoir, which becomes stagnant because stagnant water uh, is not flowing water. God can create a you and I to flow for you and I to touch someone else and to touch someone else and to touch someone else. It, 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 it's, that's where the power of God's at. The power of God is not in a church service. The power of God is not in a worship service. The power of God is not in a sermon. The power of God is in the changed life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, 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 you wanna see God's power at work? Share the gospel. You wanna see God come alive in your life? You wanna see your faith on fire for God? You wanna see your passion for Jesus rise? Begin to tell people about Jesus. Begin to lead people to Jesus. You don't even have to have the answers. Be like Andrew who went to his brother Peter and says, hey, you need to come and see this man who changed my life. That's simple. I don't have the theology. I don't have, I, I just come and see and bring them. That's the power of God that will change lives. Next, the power is for everyone, verse 16 says. The power, the gospel is for everyone. It's gonna come up on the screen. The gospel is for everyone. He says, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. No one is beyond the reach. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel. You have no son or daughter that's too far gone that the gospel can't reach them. Amen. You have no grandchild that's too far gone that the gospel cannot reach them. You have no mother or father. Some of you are the first Christian in your family. You're the first believer in your family and you're praying for your mother or you're praying for your father. And you go, you just don't understand. They'll, I'm telling you, 
Paul says, the gospel is for everyone, everyone. There is no one so far gone. Some of you, you have spouses that are not Christ followers and you come to church by yourself and you feel bad. You should never feel bad. And let me tell you this, if anybody ever makes you feel bad, you come get me and I'll talk to them, all right? Amen. We'll have a come to Jesus meeting. Uh, but, 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 but the reality is, is no, 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 no. But you come, you keep coming. You keep praying. You keep believing. Why? Because your spouse is not so far gone that the gospel cannot reach them. See, this is, this is what we fail to remember is that faith, that we walk by faith and not by sight. With it, faith is a substance according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Seen, speaking things that are not as though they are. Reality says that my spouse, that my son, that my daughter, that my mother, that my father, that my brother, that my sister, that my friend, they're dead in their sins and they're dead in their transgressions. But faith says, no, 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 no. The gospel will reach them. The gospel will change them. The gospel will redeem them. The gospel will restore them. And, but reality says that they're a drunk, but the gospel says, no, they're sober-minded. But, but reality says, no, no, you don't know how bad and deviant they are, but the gospel says that they're a saint of the church. But reality says, oh, no, 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 no. They're so hurt and they're so bitter and they're so hard. But the gospel says, oh, no, it will, it will, it will soften their heart. It will change their mind. It will change their attitude. So what do I do, pastor? In the middle between what is and what God's word says, you and I stand in that gap. When our family member can't stand in the gap, when the, when the spouse can't, I'm going to preach in a minute. When the spouse can't stand in the gap, when your son or your daughter can't stand in the gap, you stand in that gap and you you begin to pray between what, what is and what faith says because the gospel is for everyone, everyone that believes. Amen. Amen. I'm going to get to eat more calories today. Amen. This is why we do missions. This is why I'm so fanatical about greater because that's the only thing. That's where the power rests. Can I tell you what the secret sauce of Life Church is? It's the fact that we're not about us. The least person I wanna to preach to is Christians. I don't like preaching to Christians. And some of you go, I feel offended by that. No, you don't, because you know my heart is to reach lost people. And you're here because your heart is to reach lost people. And people that come to Life Church that their heart is just to be a holy huddle, they don't stay very long. I've been around long enough, almost two decades. I've seen this happen and transpire and it's beautiful because when one family leaves, two families come in. It's just how it works because I've raised two daughters here and I'm telling you they love Jesus and I'm telling you they're not perfect, but, I, but, but, but they've not lost anything out of their church experience. They, 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 they've not been at a disadvantage because we've not focused on them. We focused on lost people because that's the power of the gospel to see everyone safe around the corner, around the world. Jesus says, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Rome would have been the ends of the earth. Thank God for Paul who took the gospel to the ends of the earth. There are people today who are recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ because of Paul's call to go to the Gentiles, which would be us, that would like to take a pair of scissors and cut out his teaching in scripture because it's so black and white but the truth of the matter is, 
we all have salvation because Paul was called to go to the Gentiles because the gospel is for everyone. And the Bible says that it's when the gospel is preached throughout the world, then the end shall come. It's not the preaching. It's by the foolishness of preaching that men and women come to repentance. There is no such thing as great preaching <laughs> or great preachers. The grace of preachers are the foolish of preachers. Because the Bible says through the foolishness of preaching, which means it's God just chooses to use this. God just chooses to work through this. This is how God chooses to work. It's, 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 it's never about the vessel. It's never about the, 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 the medium or the mode in which it's being delivered. It's about the gospel message that God loved you and I so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. Verse 17, the gospel produces righteousness. The gospel produces righteousness. Look at the beginning part of verse 17. It says, in the good news, the gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight. The gospel in and of itself is incredibly, powerfully positive. And I'm not trying to put a slant on it. I'm just telling you, it's, it's not there to produce condemnation or shame or guilt Read verse 17 of John chapter 3. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Condemnation doesn't come from God. Anytime a preacher or someone preaches condemnation and guilt and shame from a platform, it's, it's just not godly. It, it doesn't hold theological water. Conviction, that's different. Conviction says that you have sinned, but that there is salvation. And that your sin does not define you. What defines you is the Father in heaven. And he says you're a son and a daughter. And he's redeemed you. And he's called you. And he has a plan and purpose for your life. Therefore, your sin of your past does not define who you're going to be in your future. Contrary, God's blood, Jesus' blood, though your sins be as scarlet, Isaiah says, his blood will wash you white as snow. That there's a redemption. That there is a, a reconciliation. That there is a recreation in Christ Jesus. It's when Jesus says, hey, unless a man must be first born again. It's this new creation in Christ. It's this new life in Christ. That's why I'm saying is that the gospel is powerfully positive because it produces righteousness in our life. See, condemnation would be like a coach or a parent or a friend, or not really a friend, but kind of more an enemy, but someone that would tell you that you're stupid and that you'll never amount to anything and that you're horrible and that you're terrible and everything that you're weak about and everything that you're wrong about and how you'll never make anything of yourself and how this is all you're ever going to be. This is all that's ever going to happen. You're, you're just a worm in the sight of God and you're never going to be good enough and you're never going to be and you're never going to be and you're never going to be and you're never going to be. But the gospel says, no, 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 no. You may feel like a loser today. You may feel like you're stupid today. You may feel like you're hopeless today. You may feel like you're helpless today, but there is a salvation. There is good news. You are not stupid. You are not lost. You, you, you are not going to be defined by the actions of your past, but rather there is one who loves you so much, God in heaven, who gave and sent his one and only son, Jesus, that if you would just believe in him, it's not your actions. Your actions don't save you. It's faith in Jesus Christ. If you will 
will but put your trust in him, if you will but believe in him, he will take your stupid acts and your sins of the past and your mistakes and your failures and your weakness and he will redeem all of those things and even the things that the enemy of your soul who's been trying to take you down will try to use to harm and destroy you, he will turn them around and use them for your ultimate good. That's a huge difference. The Bible says that of Jesus, that he who knew no sin became sin for you and I so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That's a powerful and humbling and sobering statement. When God looks and points to his righteousness, he doesn't point to all the majestic things he's made. He doesn't point to the angels in heaven or to heaven itself. He doesn't point to his characteristics or attributes that are endless and amazing and abundant. He points to you. He points to you and to you and to you. He points to me. Not because we're good, because we're not. Not because we're perfect, because we're far from it. (laughs) But because of what Jesus Christ has done in your heart and in my heart and in our lives, we become the righteousness of God. We produce righteousness in our life. We become right with God. That's what the word righteousness means. To be in right relationship between you and the Father. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what is he saying? He's not saying that you're right or I'm right or that your actions are awesome or my actions are awesome. He's saying, look at Tom's life. Look at where he was. And look at what the gospel, my son Jesus Christ did in him. And look at Susan's life and look at where she was and look at what my son, look at what the blood of, of my son can do. And, and, and look, look at Rita's life and look at where she was and look at where she, look, this, is what, this is what he means when he says that we become the righteousness of God, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ produces righteousness. It's not that you and I are awesome, no. But it's that his work in us is so amazing. It's so amazing. And I wanna end with this, the gospel connects, us to, connects to us by faith. How do you receive this? By faith. This is the best part of the good news. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't show up to church enough times to obtain it. It's not about how much you put in the offering, it's not about how good you were yesterday or what you're gonna to do tomorrow. It's not predicated It does not rest upon you or upon I. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He does the heavy lifting. He he lifts us up. He sets us out and and he, he pulls us out of the pit, of the pit that we're in and the despair that we're in. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. 
That's what Paul's saying. It's not about where you are. It's about Jesus. It's not about who you are. It's about Jesus. It's not about where you've been. It's about Jesus. And if you've got a great history, awesome. But God doesn't really care. <laughs> if you've got a bad history, I, I, I'm sorry for you. But, but, but God doesn't really care because he's going to redeem and restore and, and recreate in you this new life that he has for you. But it's not about you. That's the reason why being a member of the church doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Taking Holy Communion doesn't save you. If it saved you, then you have the ability to do something that saves you. And salvation then costs you something. It costs you the ability to be able to have the, have the juice and to, and, and to have the bread. But, but it's free. It's not about that. It's not about any of that. It's not about any of our man-made traditions. Those are great, well, good, and fine, but they're just simple reminders that we, even Jesus said of the communion, do this in remembrance of me. Not in salvation, not in the way that you're saved, but do this in remembrance of me. And so it's not about anything that we do. It's about Jesus. It's about simply humbling ourselves and saying, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus, will you come into my heart? Will you come into my life? Will you be my Lord? Will you be my savior today? That's it, real simple. And so even today, I'm gonna give you an opportunity in just a minute to, if you're far away from God, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, for you to allow the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God to come into your heart, to come into your life and forgive you your sins and change you from the inside out. I hope that you'll be back next week. I hope that you're gonna continue on in this journey as we look at the book of Romans. And I hope this, if you're a Christ follower today, I hope that you answer this one question for yourself. When or who was the last person that you shared the good news of Jesus Christ to or with? If you don't have a name or a face or remember, it's quite possible that you're not doing that because you're just ashamed of the gospel. And today you just need to repent. What does repentance mean? It's a fancy Christian word for to ask God to forgive you and then to turn and do a 180 and do the opposite of what you've been doing. Because that's where the power is. You wanna have an overcoming life? Let the gospel flow through you. Not just change you, but change other people. Don't just be a reservoir, be a river. And maybe you're here today and you're without God. In these next few moments, you're gonna invite Jesus Christ to come in your heart, come into your life, and the gospel is gonna begin its work in you. And then you're gonna tell someone else and someone else and someone else. And thus the story continues. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, just very quickly, I'm not gonna take a lot of time. Just wanna ask this one simple question. You're here today and you say, Aaron, I'm not in right relationship with God. I, I, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God and all that, but I've never asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and come into my life, be my Lord, be my savior. We're gonna read in a couple of weeks where Romans 10, nine and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we believe this gospel, we will be saved. That's it, it's that simple, it's free, it's through faith. If that's you today and you wanna give your life to Christ, I'm just gonna ask you to simply to slip up your hand just right now, just up and back down, just high enough, thank you, so I can see it and back down. I'm not gonna ask you to move from your seat, 
I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, I want to pray with you. And just slip up your hand high enough, thank you, that I can see it. Anyone else, thank you. Anyone else would say, man, Aaron, that's it, thanks. Again, you're not responding to me. I just want to pray with you. Anyone else would say, man, that's me. I, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to surrender my life to Christ today. I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior today. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thanks. Just up and back down. I'm not going to take a long time. I just want to give you that opportunity for you to experience this transforming power of God in your life. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going I'm to pray this prayer and lead you in this prayer. And praying this prayer doesn't save you. But if you believe what you're about to pray, that's the, that's the power. That's the transformative power. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, those of you that, have, that have, have prayed this prayer before, I'm going to ask you to lend your voice with people that are praying this prayer for the very first time. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior today. Jesus, I believe the gospel. And I ask that the gospel would have its transformative power in my life today. I am a sinner and I confess my sins. And I believe that you, Jesus, are my Savior. Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave, just like the Bible says. Change me today. Make me in your image today, O Lord. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every person that just prayed that prayer that the peace of God that passes understanding would just flood their hearts as they are experiencing that gospel transformative change that takes place in them, that what it feels, the our side of this, of what it feels to be right with you. I pray let the peace of God just umpire and rule their hearts right now. I pray that the joy of the Lord that is, that is their strength, God, that it would just flood them right now. Joy undescribable would just flood their hearts right now. I just thank you, Lord, for people, for men and women that made a bold step just to, just to accept that gospel message today and, to, and to, to invite you into their heart, into their life and, and allow you to change and transform their life. I pray God be with them. I pray for us as a church congregation that we would never be ashamed of the gospel, but that we would be cognitive and aware and alert to, 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 to the gospel in our lives. Oh God, forgive us for the inopportune times that we've not shared the gospel, for the opportunities that we've allowed to pass, for the times of the Holy Spirit where you've nudged us and, and, and kind of pushed us, and, but we, we've kind of given you the Heisman. Oh God, help us to never be ashamed of the gospel, to never be ashamed of who you are, Jesus, whether it costs us something or not, that we stand, Lord, part of the fellowship of the unashamed, that we stand with Paul because we've received this powerful gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news that has changed us, that gives us peace through our trials and tribulations. It gives us joy in the morning that, that sees us through the night, that, that, that's there with us through the fires and through the waters of life, that walks 
walks with us, that, that guides us and leads us. Thank you, Jesus, for being that in our life. And let us never be anything but proud of you and boastful of you and communicative to other people about this change that's in us. Open up doors and opportunities, Holy Spirit, this week for us to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ, for us to be able to, to act in a way, God, that would be able to communicate your love and your grace and your goodness to someone else because we're but one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And that food is you, Jesus. You are the bread of life, that which we hunger and we thirst for that only you can satisfy. Let us go in you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we give God praise and hand clap for everyone that made decisions today? Amen.